John 20, 19 through 23. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the Lord's being locked, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word, and we ask as we reflect on this portion of it for the next few minutes that you'd give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to understand, and wills to obey, and that we might see Jesus high and lifted up. In his name we pray, amen. Well, if you were living in the Roman Empire during the time of Jesus or following the life of Jesus during the time of the writing of the Gospels, you would be familiar with Roman customs and Roman culture, even if you weren't a Roman citizen. Kids imagine living in a different city and culture and environment than the one that you live in. Adults imagine going to work and raising kids and having home life in a very different environment than the one that we inhabit. If you lived in Rome during this time, you would know Rome's story. You'd be familiar with Rome's lords and with Rome's laws. You would be familiar with the idea of the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. You see, Rome believed that she was the one that was bringing peace to the world and that her emperors were the conduits of that peace. Listen to one of the ways that Rome described her Caesar. Caesar, benefactor, savior for us and for those who come after us to make war cease, to create order everywhere. The birthday of the god Augustus is the beginning for the world of the euangelion of the gospel that has come to men through him. You see, the Roman world of John's day saw Rome as the center of life, prosperity, blessing, flourishing, fruitfulness, salvation, and peace. And the role of each emperor was to continue Rome's story to build and expand upon Rome's destiny as the true and final kingdom amidst all the other kingdoms of the world. But Rome's peace came with a price. Rome's peace was paradoxical. It came by the sword. Historians recount for us the nature of Rome's armies. They were brutal and ruthless warriors. Her conquests were marked by slaughter, slavery, plunder, and violence. Rome practiced more of a plunder economy, not a gift economy. Rome did not honor the people that she conquered, but rather enslaved them. And slaves in the Roman Empire were not even seen as persons. They were not given the dignity of being humans. Rome saw the people that she conquered as commodities to be used 
rather than as people to be honored. And it's into this context that Jesus appeared to his fearful disciples in an upper room of an obscure home in a distant city within the Roman Empire. And it's to this band of discouraged followers that the resurrected Christ spoke these words, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, even so now I am sending you. What amazing and incredible and astonishing words. Jesus, the one who has just been raised from the dead, now sends them out into the Roman Empire to announce and embody his peace, to continue his story, to be sent by him to go into their cities. These followers of Jesus now have a new mission. They're not to stay locked up in this room, fearful and discouraged. They're to go out into the big, vast world and embody the peace of Jesus, not the peace of Rome. And they do this as the Son is sending them out into the world through the power of his Spirit. And they do this in light of the Father having sent the Son. The Father first sent the Son over and over in John's Gospel He tells us that the Father sent the Son. In fact, 39 times he tells us that the Son is the sent one. Being the sent one almost becomes a name for Jesus. He's sent by the Father into the world. And now this fearful band of Christ followers is sent by the Son. He sends them. They become the sent ones in his name. And he gives them the exact same mission that the Father gave to Jesus. He tells them to continue the story. He says that they will now be the ones that will reveal the Father to the world. They will be the ones who will share and embody the Father's love and life to the world. They will embody the Father's peace to the world, into a world controlled and marked by conquest and violence. And they will go into these Roman cities, and they will colonize them for the kingdom of heaven. And amazingly, just a few centuries after Jesus spoke these words, the church grew, the church flourished within the Roman Empire, even in the midst of great persecution and great suffering. The church colonized Rome. The church replaced many Roman practices and customs. Jesus' communities replaced Roman colonies in many ways. And the peace of Jesus overcame the peace of Rome. Well, how in the world did this happen? How in the world did this fearful, small band of Jesus' followers gathered in this upper room change the world? And how in the world might we, as a small band of Jesus' followers, as a small band of those who are exploring what it means to follow Jesus, how might we, small, scared, scattered, change our world, change our lives, change our cities? Well, Jesus tells us, as the Father sent me, 
so I am sending you. That's how the world was originally changed. That's how our world would be changed. Through the Father's sending of the Son, through the Son's sending of the Spirit, through the Spirit's sending of us. And so let's look at how the Father sent the Son and then how the Son sends us. We'll look at two things. We'll see that the Father sent the Son to seek the good of others, and the Father sent the Son to receive the goodness of others. The Father sent the Son to seek the good of others. Over and over again in John's Gospel, we see the Father sending the Son to seek the good of others. We see Jesus pursuing people, being with people, not to judge and condemn them, but to seek their good. In John chapter 2, the Father sends the Son to celebrate and serve at a wedding. This couple has experienced the shame and embarrassment of running out of wine at their wedding, and the son is present to give them new wine, the best wine. He seeks their good by being the Lord of the feast and by providing for them real wine. In John chapter 4, the father sends the son to a well to meet a woman in need of true relationship, love, and acceptance She's been shunned by her community. She's had six failed relationships, and nobody wants to be with her. But Jesus is there, having been sent by the Father to this well to love and accept her and to provide for her living water. He seeks her good when nobody else will. He's now the seventh man in her life, the true and loving and faithful man. In John chapter 5, the father sends the son to a pool to restore a man who has been crippled his entire life. He says that nobody else has ever helped him to get into these healing waters, to experience the grace of these waters. And Jesus is there to seek his good, to not only restore his crippled body, but also to restore his shriveled soul. He helps him pass through these waters and experience new life. He takes away his disgrace and his loneliness and despair and brings life to him, seeking his good. In John chapter 6, the father sends the son to a large crowd, and he spends all day instructing them and teaching them. And at the end of the day, the crowd is hungry, and Jesus seeks their good by providing food for them. He miraculously provides fish and bread. He feeds them and fills them and shows them that he is there to nourish them and to satisfy their deep hunger. In John chapter 9, the father sends a son to a man born blind. Jesus not only heals him from his blindness, but he seeks his good by making him a part of his community. The religious leaders have shunned him and spurned him. They want nothing to do with this man. But Jesus seeks his good and accepts him as a true and kind and loving shepherd. In John chapter 11, the father sends the son to the tomb of Lazarus and his family. And Jesus powerfully seeks his good by raising him from the dead not only restoring Lazarus to life, but bringing life to his entire family. Jesus enters into the mess and the pain and the darkness of death to seek their good 
and to bring life. In John chapter 21, the father sends the son to a beach to restore his disciples after they've all abandoned him. Jesus graciously receives them and forgives them. Jesus seeks their good by providing food for them, giving breakfast to them. Jesus seeks their good by restoring them, especially restoring Peter following his betrayal. Jesus seeks their good by recommissioning them to this new work to embody his story. Over and over again, the Father sends the Son to seek the good of others. Over and over again, Jesus is present with people in their shame, in their loneliness, in their brokenness, in their worries, in their anxieties, in their fears, to give them the good that they need. And we see the Father sending the Son to seek the good of others most clearly and perfectly and convincingly when the Father sends the Son to the cross. On the cross, the good that the world needs is the Son. The good that the world needs is Christ himself. And the cross is the fulfillment and completion and perfection of the good that we all need. And the Father sent the Son to the cross in order to give us what we need. The Father's love, forgiveness, rest, joy, and life. Over and over again, the Father sends the Son to seek the good of others. Now, some of you are here this morning, and you may be a little bit confused because you have thought that Christianity was that the Father was seeking good from you, that the Father was seeking your righteousness, your goodness, your gifts, the things that you could give to him. And you think that what it means to be a Christian is to get your life all cleaned up, to give your life all in order, and then come to the Father and present your good. And if you're good enough, and if you're clean enough, and if you've done enough, then the Father will receive you. Friends, that's not the Christian story. It's the exact opposite. The Christian story is that we don't have any good in and of ourselves to present to the Father. The Christian story is that the Father is a source of all that is good, all that is true, all that is beautiful. The Christian story is that the Father seeks our good. The Father didn't come to plunder us. The Father didn't come to enslave us like the Roman armies did. The Father came seeking our good. He came bringing gifts to the world. The Father sent the Son to seek the good of our world, to seek our good. That's what Christianity is all about. The Father sent the Son to seek the good of others, to seek the good of the world for the world that he dearly loves. And what we also see in the Gospel of John is that the Father sent the Son to receive gifts from others, to receive the goodness of others. Over and over in John's Gospel, Jesus receives goodness from others. He receives their gifts and their graces. He makes them participants in his story. Jesus graciously allows people to participate in his work of bringing salvation to the world. In John 2, Jesus receives the gifts of the servants. 
the water that they bring to him to turn into wine. He receives their work, he blesses it, and he transforms it. I don't think he needed their gift. I don't think he needed this water. I think the water in many ways was irrelevant, but Jesus used their gift to bring about joy and feasting to a wedding that went sour. He used the gifts that these servants bring to him, and he transforms them. In John chapter 4, Jesus receives insight from the women at the well. He redirects her insight to enlarge and expand her understanding of what God is doing in the world. But he doesn't correct her theology. He doesn't rebuke her. He doesn't say, you don't have a voice. You don't have an opinion. You don't have a say in the matter. But rather, he graciously receives her and uses the insight that she brings to make her a participant in his mission. He sends her out back into her community to continue the story. He honors her. He receives what she has to offer and gives shape to what true worship is all about. In John chapter 5, the son receives the answer of the crippled man. He asks him, do you want to be healed? And the man doesn't answer directly, but goes on to explain why he has never been healed. Jesus restores him, and then later that day receives him into his community, challenging him to be renewed in his spirit as well as his body. In John chapter 6, Jesus receives the gift that this little boy offers, five loaves and two fish. He not only uses this gift to transform them, to bring good to so many, but he also uses his disciples to feed others. He makes this boy and the disciples participants in this amazing story for them to feed and nourish others in Jesus' name as the true and living bread. He receives this boy's meager and measly lunch and does something amazing with it. In John chapter 9, Jesus receives a man born blind. And then Jesus sends him out to be a sent one, to be an apostle, to be a disciple. He uses his story, even the brokenness of his story, and says, you have a participation in my mission. He uses a man's testimony as simple as it is, I was blind, but now I see to extend and expand his work in the world. Jesus receives somebody that nobody else is willing to receive. Jesus receives somebody that the religious leaders have shunned and spurred. In John chapter 11, Jesus receives the pain and the suffering and the mourning and the disappointment of Lazarus' family. He enters into their suffering even weeping himself. He is deeply moved. He's deeply troubled by this. And he brings life and light to this family. He receives the insight of Mary and Martha. He receives their hurt. He receives their pain. He receives their perspective and cares for each of them in their loss. In John chapter 21, 
Jesus receives the fish that the disciples have caught, and he uses their gifts to make breakfast for them. He gathers them around the table to nourish them and to strengthen them, and then send them out into mission to continue his story. And he especially receives Peter's confession, and he commissions Peter to go and love and tend and care for his sheep. Over and over again in John's gospel, we see Jesus receiving the gifts and graces and goodness of people, but we see this especially and perfectly in his death and resurrection. In John chapter 12, he receives the gift of Mary's expensive perfume, the gift that she lavishly wastes on Jesus to prepare his body for his burial. And in John chapter 19, Jesus receives the gift of Joseph of Arimathea, the gift of Nicodemus, as they take Jesus' body from the cross and give him a proper burial. He accepts all of their work, the spices, the linens, the ointments, as he rests in the grave preparing for his glorious resurrection. Jesus receives our gifts. Friends, some of us are really bad at receiving gifts. I'm chief among us. We don't have time today to get into all my dysfunctions around receiving gifts. If we did, we'd be here for days and days. I'm repenting. I'm still growing. I'm still learning that the beauty of Christianity is not merely that God seeks our good, but he receives our gifts. The good things that we bring to him as a loving heavenly father. Friends, those of us who are parents know what this is like. We receive gifts from our kids all the time in the form of a drawing, a card, a piece of art. We don't reject these gifts and say, you dummy, you're outside of the line. You dummy, how could you make your dimensions so disproportional? You dummy, you made me look like Aunt Peggy, and I look nothing like Aunt Peggy. Why in the world did you do this? No, we receive these broken gifts with joy and humility and gratitude. And the same is true of our God. He receives the small, meager, measly gifts that we bring to him and transforms them to do amazing things through them. The Father sent the Son to seek the good of others. The Father sent the Son to receive gifts from others. With all these stories and powerful examples in the minds of the disciples, Jesus, in this upper room, commissions them and says, As the Father sent me, even so right now, I'm sending you to receive the Holy Spirit. Friends, the church is a sent community called to live and embody the story of Jesus in the world. The Son in the power of the Spirit over and over again sends us to the same places and the same type of situations that the Father originally sent the Son. The Son sends us to weddings. The Son sends us to funerals. The sun sends us to sickbeds and to hospitals. The sun sends us to feasts and celebrations. And over and over again, 
the Son, and the power of the Spirit sends us to the same type of people that the Father originally sent the Son to, to the weak, to the wounded, to the sick, to the sore, to the wandering, to the struggling, to the broken, to the bruised. And over and over again, the Son sends us to friends, to family, to roommates, to singles, to those happily married, to those struggling in their marriages, to the divorced, to the separated, to the cohabiting, to those who are suffering and struggling, and to those who are strong and successful. The Son sends us everywhere in his world, to easy places and to hard places, to easy people and to hard people, to places full of light and to places full of darkness. The Son sends us to all these people and all these places and all these situations through the power of the Holy Spirit in order that we might do what Jesus did, that we might seek their good and that we might receive their gifts. Over and over again, the Son sends us to those in read in need of real good in the world. Real good, not defined by American values of health and beauty and wealth and independence and success and achievement, but of real good defined by kingdom of God values of love and humility, of hospitality, of care for the poor, of welcome in Jesus' name. Over and over again, the Son sends the church to be this community that seeks the good of others. Over and over again, the church is commissioned to receive good from others, to seek the good of others in countless creative ways, and to receive good from others, because that's what the Father sent the Son to do, and that's what the Son has sent us to do. So friends, be creative. Be creative this week in how you seek the good of others. Be creative this week in how you receive good from others. Receive the gifts and the graces of others with great joy and thanksgiving, just like Jesus did. Well, some of you are here this morning, and Christians have hurt you. Christians have burned you. Christians haven't sought your good. Christians have been condemning in your life in unjust ways. Christians haven't received the good things that you have to offer. Christians have rejected your gifts. Christians have practiced more of a plunder economy with you than a gift economy. If that's you, I'm sorry, because that's not the Christian story. The Christian story is this beautiful symphony of us seeking the good of others and receiving the gifts from others. That's what the Son did. That's what these early followers of Jesus did as he sent them from this upper room out into this big, vast, scary world. They sought the good of others, and they received gifts from others. And in doing so, they disrupted the Roman Empire because Rome wasn't about seeking the good of others. Rome was about plundering good from others. Rome wasn't about seeking gifts from others. Rather, Rome was about giving what they thought were good gifts to others. And friends, as we embody this same story today, it'll change our world as well. 
because the Spirit will empower our efforts to seek the good of others and to receive gifts from others. Friends, we have a student at Vita House, a ministry that I direct, who works for a homeless ministry, homeless shelter out of a church in downtown Austin. Every morning he begins his day by helping to serve a meal to the homeless community. Every day begins by seeking their good, seeking their good in tangible ways by feeding them some breakfast. And as my friend and I have talked about his work, he's told me that every single day he's surprised. And he says, I shouldn't be surprised, but I just am. I always forget that every single morning I receive more from this community than I have to give to them. He says he receives their joy, their love, their encouragement, their hopes, their dreams. He says he receives their gifts far more than he's able to give them gifts. And in Jesus' name, he wants to continue to seek their good and beautifully embody what it means to receive their gifts. And friends, that's a story, an example of what it means for us to live in Jesus' name this week. That this week, as we go about our work of raising kids, of going into our places of work, of playing on our sports teams, of going to our schools, that we are called to seek the good of others and that we're called to receive gifts from others in Jesus' name through the power of his spirit. And so as the Father has sent the Son, so now the Son is sending us. So this week, seek the good of others. This week, receive gifts from others. This week, continue the Son's story of his life and love in the world. Well, for this try to do this well. We need Jesus. We need grace. We need his life, his love. We need his spirit. We need the power of his death and resurrection. We need his story to become our story. And through his spirit this week in small but real ways, we can go out into this big vast world just like those fearful disciples went into their big vast world. And in Jesus' name, we can proclaim and embody his peace his salvation, his life, because the Spirit is still at work. The Son is still sending, just like the Father sent the Son. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent the Son. You sent the Son to seek the good of others and to receive gifts from others. Lord Christ, we thank you that you sent your Spirit and we thank you that you're faithful to continually send your spirit to a world in need of your life and love. Send us. Send us this week to embody your peace, to embody your salvation in our homes, in our places of work, in our neighborhoods, in our schools. May we seek the good of others and receive gifts from others in your name. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen.